Hey everyone, we are live now on the Conversation That Matters podcast. I hope everyone's doing all right. I hope you have a wonderful Lord's Day. Mine was uh, a bit icy, I'm going to admit. it was. I, I had some close calls last night and I was praying. But it did wonders for my prayer life, but not for my tires on my car. We had a little snowstorm, but, uh, but we're safe. We're doing well. And uh, we have a lot of important things to talk about because while we were having a snowstorm in New York, Bart Barber, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, was at a church doing a Q&A. And I watched his Q&A this morning. I actually went through, I kind of boiled down what I thought were the relevant points for you and the audience who are Southern Baptists. And then I asked William Wolf to come on and talk about it. And William is an author at the Freedom Center at Liberty University. He has an MDiv from Southern Seminary, and he's a personal friend, an all-around good and funny guy. Uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast, William. Thanks for having me, John. Glad to hear you made it through the ice safely. Yeah, it was kind of, it was probably the closest call I've had this winter. <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't fun, but that's the perils of living in the Northeast. So you don't have to experience that, I guess, too much in Louisville. Uh, yeah, back in North Carolina, the only problem is everyone loses their mind when we get oh, yeah. anything on the road here. So I remember that actually when I lived in Raleigh, I remember we had like a dusting and there were cars and trees. I was just like, how is this possible? So anyway, so- Southerners, man, gotta love them. Yep. So, well, we're going to talk about uh, Bart Barber, and I wanted you on because I know you've been tracking really close with SBC-related things, and you have announced uh, an announcement at the end of this podcast that you want to share with everyone uh, that I think is going to be really important for SBC conservatives. So I want them to hear that, and I want them to hear what you have to say about Bart Barber. So um, without further ado, let's uh, set the stage, and then we'll play the Bart Barber clip. Um, what do you want people to know about where he was? Because I don't even know exactly what church he was at. He was at a church in an evening service talking about SBC-related stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, Bart Barber is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's in his second term. So this is the end of his run as a Southern Baptist Convention president. He'll moderate over our annual meeting in June in Indianapolis. Uh, he's a pastor uh, in Texas and uh so he's been a pretty small town uh, country pastor for, for many years, and now he's the president of the SBC. He was at First Baptist Church Jacksonville, where uh, Heath Lambert is the senior pastor, and he was there and he preached, and then he took a Q&A, and Heath Lambert gave him some very serious questions. So uh, immediately, I want to say thanks to Heath Lambert for, one, making it live, and two, asking Bart serious and hard-hitting questions about the current state of our convention. I was not used to seeing such direct questions. So I w- I'm a very appreciative of that too, because these are the actual questions people want answered. Uh, so the fr- I, I've organized this into three parts and it probably gets more kind of political as we go. But the, the first part is just how Bart Barber conceives of the power of the SBC presidency, what he can do, what he can't do about some of the, the liberal drift issues in the convention. Um, and then the second part, um, I'm going to have you address the Me Too stuff or the abuse related allegations, because he talks about that. And then last but not least, we'll talk about the law amendment and women pastors. So um, if you have questions, if you're in the chat, uh, we, we don't have it open for video questions. But if you want to write a question uh, for William or myself, uh, you can put that in the chat on YouTube or Facebook. So without further ado, here is uh, Bart Barber and we'll start watching this. A lot of folks that I knew said what we have left is not a good enough selection of choices for Southern Baptists to make a choice. And a lot of friends who for several years had been saying, please you know, consider being nominated for president of the SBC came to me and really pressed on me about that at that time. It's a volunteer position that really has 
Only a few things that are specified in the Constitution. Baptists have always been very suspicious of concentrated power. There you go, yeah. And the more tonight goes, the more suspicious you will be of it, I'm sure. But, uh, but really, it's true. It's a good thing for us as Baptists to be that way. And so we've put together an organization that deliberately has a weak presidency. The, the major job that I have is to moderate the business meeting that we have once a year, the SBC annual meeting, which is the world's largest open democracy. You have 15,000 people there, and any of them can walk up to a microphone and move to do anything they want to move to do and say anything they want to say, and it's amazing. Nobody else is crazy enough to do this. I have to appoint some committees. Uh, the, the committee that counts the votes. We have a committee that drafts resolutions for the convention to consider, and I appoint that. I appoint a committee called the Committee on Committees. That committee has one 45-minute meeting, and that's all they do. And they appoint a committee that they can't fully appoint, but they have to give that to the messenger body to vote to approve the committee that they've appointed called the Committee on Nominations. And then that committee works all year long, and they pick people to serve on the board of trustees for the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board or Southern Baptist Theological Seminary or whatever. They have to bring those back the next year for the convention to vote on. And so I initiate a step that's before a step that's before a step that puts people into the positions of governing our entities at the Southern Baptist Convention. I am. Okay, I, I just want to uh, stop there, William, and maybe talk about what we just heard because I could have probably brought a lot more clips into it because Bart Barber constantly throughout this whole interview keeps saying, um, I don't really have much power as the president of the, of the convention. You, you almost get the impression that like he can't really do much. But then he does talk about all these committees he appoints, which actually run the convention. Um, so, you know, is it true that uh, Joe Schmo from Mobile, Alabama can show up with 15,000 people and just walk to the mic and, you know, be more powerful than Bart Barber? Like, like how does the convention actually work? And, and is Bart responsible for some of the liberal drift? Yeah, so uh, he's not entirely wrong, but he's not entirely right. And it reminds me of sort of one of the classic comments about legislating and getting things done. Some senator or congressman one time said, I'll let you write the bills as long as I control the process. And that's what the Southern Baptist president does at the annual meeting is he controls the process. And so I'd say Bart, you know, misspoke there when he said the most important thing he does is run the annual meeting, though that is important. And it really controls the outcomes that happens on the floor. But he got into what really is the more important function of the Southern Baptist president, which is two years worth of committee appointments. And, and that matters greatly. And when the original conservative resurgence was uh, employed in the Southern Baptist Convention, they realized that it would probably take about 10 years, you know, about five, two year terms of solid conservative presidents and appointments to begin turning the institutions around because the trustees that he appoints to the Committee on Committees and the Committee on Nominations, they're the ones who exercise control on behalf of the messengers over our institutions, over the IMB, over NAM, over our six seminaries, over the ERLC, et cetera. And so it's a very powerful position. And it's interesting to consider that J.D. Greer got three years 
as the SBC president to make these to make these committee appointments. And I would argue really reshaped the convention and pushed it in a more liberal direction with his committee appointments. And so Bart's mate been making significant appointments. And in this tenure as his president, as the president, he oversaw the creation of the cooperation group, which we'll get into later, which is a very important committee right now in Southern Baptist life. So I think Bart is doing a little bit of an aw shucks routine that gets at some reality, but masks the power that he holds, particularly when it comes to, you know, who gets on committees and then what we consider on the floor and what we don't consider on the floor at the annual meeting. Yeah. I, I was just thinking too, the annual meeting, you can show up there, but there is a stage that tends to direct things. And I remember when Rick Warren was there, uh, a lot of people, uh, it caught their eye that he was able to just make his way to a microphone and get called on. So it's not like everyone has equal access to these things either, right? No, not at all. And look, you can get to a mic if the mics are cut off, aren't cut off like they were in our New Orleans meeting last year for a while. But that doesn't mean that what you get to say will be entertained or you might get cut off by the moderator, by the president when you're trying to speak to things. I know that uh, Jennifer Buck and, and Tom Buck and those on their behalf tried to bring some issues up pertaining to how they had been mistreated and lied about by SBC operatives. And that wasn't entertained. There was a motion at the last annual meeting to release the video footage uh, surrounding the incident with Mike Stone when he was falsely accused of harassing and bullying a sexual abuse survivor, a lie that was spread by people like Griffin Gulledge and others. And that really didn't get entertained and didn't get moved forward. So there is quite a bit of power in what we call the platform in the SBC. And that's the guy standing up there with a suite of people uh, around him, the parliamentarian and others. And so, again, I think Bart is downplaying the importance of his role. All right. Well, let's keep going here. We have questions coming in. Keep bringing them in. Uh, but we um, are going to make our way through some more of this material before we answer them. Personally burdened by all the revelations of scandal in the leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention. Can you please speak to the ways sexual abuse allegations were mishandled by church and denominational leaders, whether you expect more revelations to come and how we can avoid these kind of scandals in the future? Our convention voted to, to have an independent investigation of the SBC Executive Committee. They didn't find any instances where the convention or the Executive Committee did that. The Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, when survivors came to try to get the convention and the Executive Committee to do something to help, to try to do something to inform churches or encourage churches or provide resources for churches to do a better job, that there were, that there were times and there were people working for the Southern Baptist Convention who did not want to hear that and mistreated uh, some of those folks who were coming and making those claims. And uh, you know, the convention has formally repented of the ways that we, that we messed up there. It seems to me that denominational leaders and lawyers often disagree with victim advocates who don't always seem to have the best interest of the convention at heart. How do you know who to trust and listen to as you move forward? Ultimately, in the end, I have very little authority in this weak presidential role to be King Solomon, who listens to what everybody says and says, here is my ruling. This is, this is what we're going to do. And the question seems to sort of presume that, that I, that I need to know how to sort it all out and know which way to rule. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the messenger body of the Southern Baptist Convention votes to decide what the policy of the convention is going to be. 
And um, the best way I know uh, to, to move forward is, whether it's lawyers or survivors or whoever, listen to everybody and try to get them to explain to you why they think what they think, why they recommend what they recommend, and then pray about what you've heard. There's more Me Too stuff, but I, I figure I don't want to get too overwhelmed here, William. Um, any reaction to what you just heard? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because Bart is, I think, saying something that's going to upset a lot of abuse advocates, but it is... I believe it's the truth that there were there was nothing found that you know that showed there was a cover up by this Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee or the Southern Baptist Convention you know itself which really operates outside of those two days were gathered through the executive committee but if that is the case if we take Bart's word for it it raises the question of why in the world was the executive committee essentially harangued into waiving attorney client privilege then if there was nothing that they'd done, there's no cover up. Why did they allow themselves to get guilted into that very serious action, which is arguably a breach of their fiduciary responsibility as you know trustees and operate you know operators of the Southern Baptist Convention on our behalf? It's also different than the tune that Barber uh, I say w- sung to Anderson Cooper on CNN, which brings me back to his presidency role. That man speaks on behalf of. 14 million Southern Baptists. He has the bully pulpit. He speaks, he's our major representative. And, you know, before uh, secular outlets and worldly outlets, there's been much more of, man, we really are a bunch of bad guys and we got bad stuff going on and we understand why the world doesn't like it than what we heard there at First Baptist Jacksonville. So Bart is sort of changing his tune for his audience, I would argue. But if Bart is right, and this cannot be understated enough and Megan Basham overstated enough, and Megan Basham was uh, engaging on this yesterday. If that's true, then everything we've been doing for the last six years has really exonerated us in many ways. And, and it's time for us to begin sort of folding up and rejecting this narrative that the Southern Baptist Convention as an entity is somehow, you know, a, a den of abusers and a den of sort of people who want to hide abuse and cover it up. We've been very transparent and forthright. Later, and I don't know if we'll get to this clip. Keith asks him if other churches are responsible for abuse that happens yeah, we'll at other churches. Okay, I'll, I'll save my comments for that then. But yeah, I, I, I just w- with the clips we just heard though, um, it seems like it is a shift, and I, knew, I did notice that tone change from when he was with Anderson Cooper. He he seems to want everyone to make up their own mind about the best way to proceed with uh, putting policies in place or mechanisms to deal with abuse in SBC churches. So the focus isn't on the executive committee and whether or not they're abusers or did anything abusive. But now the the focus is on um, what do we do about the the whole entire convention, this larger issue? And he doesn't have an opinion. That's the weird thing to me. He doesn't he wants to portray it like, well, I'm just kind of neutral here and whatever you guys want. And like, that's not leadership. I don't understand how he can uh, like like at the beginning of the clip. And I, I don't know if I played it. He says that, you know, Southern Baptist didn't really have much of a choice when he ran right so i guess tom askell wasn't a choice and so he ran to provide leadership but this isn't leadership so i'm getting riled up i'm not even in the convention but uh you know I, that must no, bother you no i think i well it certainly does because this is you know the future of the southern baptist convention and when it comes to the abuse related issues this is an existential question 
if if we essentially, as the Southern Baptist Convention, our representatives, Bart Barber, our lawyers, others, comments made on the floor, make it sound like the Southern Baptist Convention as an incorporated entity overseeing billions of dollars in, in assets is responsible for their abuse that has happened at local autonomous churches, then we're liable to class action lawsuits that could bankrupt us and end the Southern Baptist Convention as we know it. Now, Bart, under oath in a deposition, again, he said that he doesn't think the Southern Baptist Convention did anything wrong in, in the way that right. it's handled abuse claims. But that's a fundamentally different tone and narrative than the one that we have heard on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention for many years now. And he says he wants to defer to the messenger body. But I mean, again, in a Me Too era, when we're being told that all of a sudden the Southern Baptist Convention is responsible for decades of abuse and hundreds of incidences and cover-ups, you know, the the people are going to vote for what's been put in front of them. That's how we got the Sexual Abuse Task Force, which was the first iteration. Then we got the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force. Then we got the Guidepost Solutions that quite, quite frankly went against a lot of our Baptist polity. Many haven't been implemented. We sent these lawyers who we've paid millions of dollars back to the drawing board to sort of resketch these solutions out for us to take into account congregational Baptist polity. But now we have people talking about trying to find a permanent home and a permanent line of funding for abuse reform task force efforts, including possibly the ERLC, which I think would be an absolute disaster. And so, you know, there's a cadre of people who, who have Bart's ear and are even in positions that have been appointed by Bart and others. Josh Wester is the one who heads the abuse reform implementation task force that have a lot of power and are angling for budget lines and continuing efforts on this. And so for Bart to just sort of step back and throw his hands up, I think, again, speaks exactly to what you said, which is a lack of leadership. And when yeah. it comes to our next president, what we need more than anybody else is a leader who's going to tell the truth and stand on biblical principles of justice to lead the Southern Baptist Convention out of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It went from like an emergency, throw water on the fire to, well, there wasn't really a fire, but we should install a sprinkler system anyway, because we're going to have, uh, we're, we'll probably have fires down the line or something. And it, it, it is a shift. And, and, you know, I think you're right. If it they're exonerated, if there wasn't a problem, then why, why are we still talking about it? And uh, so let's keep going here. We got more well, on the abuse. Oh, you got something else? Yeah. Just, I mean, I want to be clear, of course, for anybody who's listening to us that, you know, that's not to say there weren't abuse. There was an abuse at local churches. Right. And I don't want to discount that or discredit that, that, you know, people in positions of authority did sinful and criminal things and they should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Full discovery should be, you know, undertaken and people, if they've been wrong, they should be made right. And those who wrong them should be held accountable. But the key difference here, John, is is what happens at a local church. Somehow the entire Southern Baptist Convention's legal responsibility. And the answer has to be no. Well, Bart's going to weigh in on that. How much money? have Southern Baptists spent on guidepost solutions, investigations, legal fees, task force expenses, legal settlements, and other, legal settlements and other things, do you expect that more money is yet to be spent and that the SBC is now or will be facing a financial crisis because of all of this? That's a great question. So uh, we spent millions of dollars. I think the guidepost solutions report uh, was five, six million dollars, something like that, that was spent by the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. I can promise you that there's not been a single day since 1870 that your money that you gave the Southern Baptist Convention wasn't going to lawyers. We have lawyers who are working to respond to sexual abuse claims and lawsuits, and that's been true as long as you've been alive. 
me just let that sink in. As long as you've been alive, you have spent some money on lawyers to handle liability claims and to do other things that the Southern Baptist Convention has to do. Uh, it's been more lately, there have been more lawsuits lately. Uh, there's going to be more money spent on that. Here's the important thing. I'm committed. Of course, I don't have that much to do with it, but I can tell you everybody I know is committed to spending only the amount of money on legal expenses that are required to make it possible for us to spend all the money that we spend on missions. When abuse happens in one church of the Southern Baptist Convention, do you think all the churches in the convention share their liability? No. Are you familiar with the statement on social justice and the gospel? So let, I, I forgot about this. Is So we're, we're doing four issues, I guess. Social justice is kind of like wedged in there. But let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, the social justice, let's get to, let's finish the Me Too thing first. Yeah, so sure. he, he talks about uh, this. Um, uh, well, he, he, he tries to say that, that there is no relationship when a local church has an abuse situation. Right. But then he's also talking about how. Well, we're always spending money on lawyers. So what's the difference? And I'm like, wait, I, I'm not, I'm seeing the disconnect, but I don't understand how he doesn't see it. Yeah. When I heard that answer, I thought it was pretty classic dissembling a little bit of a filibuster. He was talking about lawyers in some of the part that you clipped out there, helping missionaries get access to country. Sure. Right. That happens. But the reality is we have spent an exponentially increasing amount of uh, Southern Baptist tide dollars on this this whole issue that he essentially is saying isn't really an issue and those those monies have been going to uh to consultants and lawyers guideposts that do not share our vision and our values this was a big issue with guideposts full-on pro-lgbt posting in the month of june that frustrated many southern baptists and so you know it's it's been many many millions and the southern baptist executive committee is possibly facing bankruptcy over this issue. And, and that's an issue that the next president is going to have to deal with. And that Bart, it's not clear to me under his tenure has taken particularly seriously. And, you know, the, the reality is that if, if a, one church is not responsible for the abuse that happens at another church, if you, you know, work that logic out, then the Southern Baptist convention as an entity isn't responsible either, which again, raises the question, why have we been doing this for the last six years? And my answer to that, John, is because we were led by men who weren't biblically courageous leaders, but were incredibly influenced by the Houston Chronicles report, which I argue was sort of an op that was run on the Southern Baptist Convention that was further exacerbated by Russell Moore's exit letters in which he claimed to know about years of abuse that he never himself spoke up against. And essentially, if you parse it all out, Bart Barber essentially called Russell Moore a liar, not in like so many words. But if that's the case, we've been we need to stop dancing to the tune of Russell Moore's, you know, exit, you know, song sheet and get back to biblical standards of justice and actual legal liability where it belongs. You know, we can't keep making promises that we can't fulfill. And biblical justice means holding those responsible for wrongdoings, you know, accountable for the actions and not other people. Excellent. Excellent. Couldn't have said it better. Uh, totally agree. Let's talk about social justice here since. Uh, that's another topic that kind of floated in uh, in the middle of uh, the segment. Do you agree with this statement? Do you think the SBC should have a statement similar to it? Uh, 
As Baptists, we've tended not to pick individuals and say, you sign on to things for us. Instead, our churches make decisions about what we believe. You don't think that it's something that the SBC needs to focus on this year or something like that in terms of Oh, goodness, of no. Okay. I, I, uh, I was on the resolutions committee for two years, and I chaired it one of those years. And uh, if you want to know about what things are that are important to me for us to make a statement on, you should look at those resolutions committee reports. <laughs> okay. You get a pretty good idea. If you think Christians should support Donald Trump for president. I think the 2020 election was legitimate. I can't stand it when people don't have any sympathy at all for the plight and the difficult decisions that, uh, that Christians face whenever they have to go make choices in electoral politics in the United States. Uh, so, so I want you to know that, um, um, that I can't vote for somebody who supports abortion, who supports uh, dismembering children uh, in these gender change surgeries. Uh, I, I, I cannot cast ballot for anybody who's a part of any of those things. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm also, I also recognize that on the, on the questions that are most important to me about my faith and about affirming life and, and whatever else, I, I'm so thankful for what's been accomplished with the Dobbs decision and Donald Trump gets a lot of credit for the, the appointed justices on the Supreme Court that have helped us to get to that place. Uh, but I'm really concerned about things that he said recently about the pro-life movement. And, um, and just know this, uh, uh, one pastor from Texas feels a lot of sympathy for the position that you're in and that I'm in for trying to figure out how we're going to vote. I, I have to just say the last phrase there. He, you know, he's just one pastor from Texas, William. He's not the president of the convention. <laughs> right. The, the, there it is. Through the whole interview, I think this, for those who watch this, watch that, Bart seems to be trying to do this, put on my SBC president hat, but actually I don't have any power. Take it off, then put on my personal hat and let me sympathize with you. And it just, that doesn't work. And that's not, that's not leadership, but a lot to jump into there. You tell me where you want to go. Well, he's, I think, we can go in sequential order. He, he basically says that the SBC does not need a statement on social justice in the resolutions. And he tries to, I, I left out some things, but he tries to make an argument uh, or at least an assertion that he will only be part of the crafting of statements that churches can adopt, not individuals. And so he's not going to sign anything. And, um, and that's his justification for not being familiar with or signing the statement on social justice. But then to, to, to go the extra step of, uh, we have an election year where he's, you know, it's just he can't make a decision about Donald Trump, really. It's just so hard. But he doesn't want to give anyone guidance on social justice. <laughs> that's, that That's another disconnect that I saw that I was like, well, th that would help maybe your people understand what the issues are involved in this election. And uh, he doesn't think it's an issue, which, which just I'm scratching my head over that one. Yeah, I wanted to let's talk about social justice in the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. It, it, I think that right now we live in a moment where people are trying to memory hole just how woke the Southern Baptist Convention and many of its leaders got from, say, like 2014 to 2021, 2022. We had in 2017 Jarvis Williams an uh, interview with um, uh, Matt Smethers at the Gospel Coalition recommending that people read critical race theory books. We had Matt Hall, you know, provost of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, saying that he's going to show us all how every, underneath everything we know and love is white supremacy. 
You know, we had Curtis Williams leading the uh, leading the resolutions committee when we voted on resolution number nine. Curtis Woods. Like, yeah. Curtis Woods. Curtis Woods. That's right. Curtis Woods. And so, you know, and, and here's the thing. We've never actually really come back and dealt with these issues as Southern Baptists. We haven't fully revoked and repealed resolution number nine. And then it's very interesting for Bart to mention, you know, take a look at what matters to to me in the resolutions. Well, we elected Ed Litton. Ed Litton gets caught as a plagiarist. He's plagiarizing J.D. Greer's sermons, which included very woke social justice comments, particularly downplaying the sin of homosexuality. And then there were resolutions that were offered under the years that uh, this previous year when Bart was chairing the, the floor about, you know, rebuking plagiarism and holding people accountable, you know, not by name, but just in general. And those weren't allowed to come forward. And so I think that that for Bart to say that, you know, he doesn't think the Southern Baptist Convention needs to speak to social justice or wokeness in general. It just isn't true. We still have we have DEI quotas essentially being run at major flagship churches. We have kingdom diversity scholarships at Southeastern, which you could argue are you know a form of social justice laundered in to the Southern Baptist world. We have pretty radical climate change ideology being foisted on seminary students. We have people again at Southeastern, Rachel Gilson, who is uh, downplaying and sort of smuggling in, you know, I would argue sort of soft at best lang language dealing with issues of homosexuality and same-sex attraction. And so uh, social justice is live and well in the Southern Baptist Convention, whether it's on feminism, whether it's on DEI or CRT, and we've not really adequately cleaned house on this. So I just think he's just wrong on that. You know, I remember Walter Strickland a few years ago, I mean, it's more than a few, maybe it was 2017, 2018. He went to D.C. to support the Dreamers. And of course, he's a prominent professor at South, uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I didn't realize this was he's more than just him in the convention. Uh, one of the guys running for president, uh, Clint Presley, uh, hired uh, an illegal migrant and also supported uh, Dreamers, essentially becoming citizens uh, publicly. And, you know, this is something that Southern Baptists themselves have to navigate this coming June in their own convention, not just the presidential convention for the country, but they, they have to make an assessment about where they're going to be on some of these social justice issues because there's people running who actually hold to some of these uh, positions. And Bart doesn't want to give them direction and or doesn't think they need it, which is about as out of touch as I think I've ever seen. Um, so I don't know if it's willful. I don't know. I don't I can't get in his head, but it's just it, it's bad. Yeah, it is. I mean, the ERLC, as it stands today, I would argue, continues to push a, a pretty general social justice agenda. I mean, MLK 50 conference, that was part and parcel with uh, the ERLC that was funded in part by our Southern Baptist tithe dollars. And if that was not a pro-social justice conference, then I don't know what was. And I would argue again that the um, the liberal progressive rhetoric on immigration, which we see, you know, peaking right now, particularly with the invasion that's happening on our southern border, uh, you know, that is part of the social justice package. You could call it, you know, critical immigration theory if you wanted to. And the ERLC continues to advocate for these things, which are at odds with, I'd say, the position, the biblical position that most Southern Baptists hold. And so there is a there's a great divide between the people in the pews in the Southern Baptists and many of the men who lead the institutions who are on the platform. And I guarantee you that the people in the pews think social justice is still a live issue. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's keep going. It is my understanding that the law amendment would require churches to limit the pastoral office to men in order to be part of the SBC and that this amendment will be voted on this year. Okay. Is that correct? 
Yeah. So uh, you're asking me that's if I premise. think that statement well, is correct. Yeah, is that, yeah. That's correct. So um, I'm going to quibble with it. Uh, there is an amendment, the law amendment, actually the law Sanchez amendment uh, that we're going to be voting on at the SBC this year. But the SBC already requires that churches limit the office of pastor to men. Uh, without the law amendment, uh, we uh, removed from friendly cooperation, Saddleback, maybe you've heard of them, uh, Saddleback Church in California, Rick Warren, Fern Creek Baptist Church, Linda Popham uh, in, uh, in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, so the fact of the matter is we already have a statement of faith, Baptist faith and message, and we already have a process in place that is completely effective for doing that. So no, the law amendment does not change that. The law amendment is, um, is, is something that does make some changes, but it, but it wouldn't change that. Okay, so then the question, the ultimate question is, do you support this amendment, why or why not? The most important thing for me to say is that my job is to neutrally moderate a meeting where we're gonna to come together and make this decision. The, the, the tricky part is, what do you do when the church down the street has someone who's a children's minister? And your church has a children's minister, and that person at that church down the street does not one thing that your person doesn't do, never preaches, isn't involved in the spiritual oversight of the congregation, somebody who runs the children's ministry, and the church down the street decides to use the title children's pastor to refer to that person, and your church calls that person a children's minister. I'm not prepared to boot them out of the Southern Baptist Convention when all they would have to do to be like our church is just change a title and not change anything about the job description or role or responsibility of that person. This uh, next question is a long one, but it's a, it's a good follow-up, I think, to that. So I'm going to try to filter through some of the language here. Um, I have read arguments from conservatives who are opposed to the law amendment that say we need to give space for churches who are confused, space for them to get in the right spot on this issue. But the SBC requires cooperating churches not to embrace homosexuality, racism, and sexual abuse. Why can we not say the same thing about female pastors? Should churches in the SBC have space to get in the right spot on homosexuality, racism, and sexual abuse? And if not, then why wouldn't we say the same thing about female pastors? We already have said the same thing about female pastors. And we've consistently acted in that way with regard to female pastors. The question is, what are you gonna do about a female preschool minister? Do you think that a church who believes that female pastors are consistent with biblical teaching should be allowed to affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention? No, we voted on that twice this year at the SBC annual meeting, and I agree with those decisions. Uh, so the first question in the triad is, can you explain the concerns and issues behind the creation of the cooperation group? I had said before the meeting publicly that I thought something like this would be helpful. That deliberate vagueness works great when the messenger body's making decisions, but it's a nightmare when you hand it to a committee. I don't think that is a good structure. 
that honors the wishes of the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I don't want us to become one smidgen more liberal in what we do. But with a messenger body voting 90% to 10% on these things that we voted on about women pastors, trusting the messenger bodies does, does not mean making the Southern Baptist Convention more liberal. The liberals left and stopped coming to our annual meeting a long time ago. Uh, I would like you to help me understand uh, why you appointed people to the cooperation group who support female pastors. I know that you were required to, uh, I know that you were required to place people on the committee who were broadly representative of in convention life, but it seems wrong to me to have people who do not support our denomination's beliefs to be having a crucial role in determining what role those beliefs should, should play in our denominational life. Please help me. So the person everybody's talked about is a guy named Jason Paredes, who's a pastor in the DFW area, whose church has female children's ministers and preschool ministers and people in roles like that. All right, so that's the full clip. Uh, that, there's a lot in, in what we just uh, talked about. So I don't know if you were taking notes. Uh, what do you, where do you want to start to unpack everything we just heard? Because I think some people might need to get this explained to them, what exactly is going on with this reconciliation um, committee. Yeah, well, let, let's go back to the law amendment and start there. So uh, you, there, you actually, there's a, another portion where after Bart says, my job is to be a neutral arbiter, he, he says, I'm not a fan of the law amendment. And so he, he works as he can't help himself uh, but say, to say that. But we all, we all know that already. You know, what I, what I want to start with, and don't cut me off here, is a quote from Jonathan Lehman, uh, because I love to get these quotes and use them. And I hope a certain crowd hears this. So, you know, he, this is what Lehman said back in like 2019 on egalitarianism and, and complementarianism. He says, I think the egalitarian and androgynous push of the last several decades is a front burner, generationally urgent issue for the church. And anyone who denies this is naive. Our culture's assault on gender differences and authority is generationally urgent because it's unique to this Western moment, this time and place. This is our battle. And if you cannot see that, I believe you are more affected by our time and place than you realize. So this is our battle on this issue. And Bart is not accurately painting a picture at all. So he says the law amendment is not necessary because in the Baptist faith and message, we articulate a clear standard for who can be a pastor and say it can only be a biblical qualified man. And yet we know that there are, if not just shy of thousands, there are almost 2000, if not more women pastors across the Southern Baptist Convention. Read Kevin McClure's piece, an American reformer, how many women pastors are in the SBC. Bart brought up two examples of very high profile cases of egalitarian churches, Rick Warren and Fern Creek. And he says that indicates that the system is working. I actually think that proves the system is not working. Why does it take so many years and that we only deal with two very high profile cases when we know that there are thousands of churches potentially with women pastors across the SBC? And so the system isn't working. And the way that we currently deal with this is way too long and involved. And so what Mike Law realized he needed to do was to re-articulate our, our commitment to complementarianism in our constitution, just like we re-articulated our commitment against racism and against sex abuse 
that was already in our Baptist faith and message in our constitution. And I know this for a fact that when people were pushing those amendments, Bart Barber did not say, well, we already dealt with this in the Baptist faith and message, so we don't need to rearticulate it again. It's the duty of every generation to defend the faith at the point that it's being most attacked. And I would argue the theological issue that is most under fire right now in the Southern Baptist Convention is egalitarianism. So there should be nothing wrong. Nobody should be opposed to rearticulating this in our Constitution the way that it's in our Baptist faith and message. And yet Bart Barber and many others are. And here's why, John, because they don't want to draw any lines that would cause the Southern Baptist Convention to lose uh, left leaning churches. They're very happy to draw lines that potentially would cause the Southern Baptist Convention to lose more conservative churches, but they want a tent so big the whole world's inside of it. And they don't want to, again, in the light of the abuse issues, they don't want to look like they're being mean to women or anything like that. And so they're just giving up the fight on this critical, theological, generationally urgent battle. And so he's just he's just wrong on that. The process is not working. I know of other churches out there that have been referred to the Credentials Committee, First Baptist Church Alexandria, that has women pastors, and they have not been they've not received a ruling that they're not in friendly cooperation. And so then this is very interesting. I'll move on to this and then pause for a second. Heath asks him point blank, do you believe that a church that has a scriptural conviction that women can be pastors should be affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention? To which Bart says no. But then, and he was wrong about this, he appoints a guy who leads a church and with women pastors and not just women children's pastors. He's wrong about that fact. Jason Paredes has seven pastors who are female on staff in roles like foster and adoption care, college pastors. It's not just uh, children pastors. And Jason is on record on video saying we voted against the Saddleback's ouster and we believe women are qualified to be pastors. Yeah, so, William, so wh which one is play, it? Let's play that video. It's going to be an incredible message as God speaks to you as we go through Exodus. But I want to tell you something that happened this past week. Uh, Pastor Gary and his wife Sandy and I were in New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting with a, a team of people from the church. And there were just a couple things that happened that, uh, that concerned me. And I, I wanted to talk to you about so that you're aware of it. You're likely hearing some of this, those of you who are more tuned to the news. Uh, and the number one thing you're going to hear about uh, that concerns me uh, it is the uh, disfellowshipping, the removal of Saddleback Church in California from the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, it, because they have female pastors. And I, I want to just say publicly that I am in disagreement with that decision. I voted against that decision. Uh, we, we agree that this is not in the heart and tenor of the Southern Baptist Convention. You may not know much about the Southern Baptist Convention, but it's an incredible uh, group of churches, over 47,000 churches that come together with one common mission, to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to every place in this world, right here in this city, this country, and to the ends of the earth, planting churches, sending missionaries, doing gospel work. And the vast majority of the convention is thousands and thousands, literally millions of believers who love Jesus and want the vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ extended to the ends of the earth to happen. But there's also confusion. And I think that uh, part of the beauty of the convention has been something called autonomy. That the churches don't exist for the convention, the con convention exists for the churches. And the uh, autonomy, being independent of the way that we operate, means that there can be a lot of diversity of opinion on minor issues, and we collaborate together and agree upon the major issues. The chief issue being our agreement to come under the Word of God, the Bible as truth. And the problem I have is right now, this move is to remove churches 
Okay, so I, there's actually more to the clip. I wish I had it queued. I thought I had it queued, but there's a uh, there, there's a clip here where he also I think they all even clap. He says we support female pastors, <laughs> and like his, his church claps for him. Uh, and and this is the gentleman you're saying Bart is. Say, well, they just have some preschool, you know, teachers they call pastors. That that's acceptable, apparently. Yeah, and that's that's just not true. And so Jason, this this is one of the Jason was repeating. Uh, you know, uh, a talking point that the liberals try to use when it comes to this issues about local church autonomy, which is something that has been addressed by many leading Baptist figures, theologians, institutional leaders uh, for centuries in our convention. Let me let me just read, you know, let me read one quote. This is from J.B. Gambrell, SBC president, 1917 to 1920 from Baptist Why and Why Not. He says, whatever privileges any church may enjoy in cooperation spring from the constitution of the convention and not out of the constitution of the church privileges of membership may be and constantly are enlarged or contracted according to the judgment of those forming these general bodies and so people and misunderstand this about the southern baptist convention and the liberals misspeak on this issue we are not telling any church how they can and cannot run it, we do believe in local church autonomy and congregationalism. If you want to have women pastors, I think you're going against scripture and going against God's word and design for the church. But you can do so. And the Southern Baptist Convention can't stop you. But we can say that if you said you're a Southern Baptist and you go against our confession, we're not going to let you be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention anymore. That's not under that's not destroying local church autonomy. That's appropriately policing the boundaries of our cooperation as rooted in our confession. And, and again, this gets back to Bart's doublespeak at best, you know, or ignorance, where he says that Jason is just has, you know, women serving as children's ministry pastors. And that's just not true. So does Bart not know that? The rest of us know it. And when it comes to the composition of the cooperation group, which he says is broadly representative of the Southern Baptist Convention, that's also just not true. The Southern Baptist Convention messenger body in New Orleans voted at about 80 percent to 20 percent to affirm the Mike Law Amendment. So if you're going to have a broadly representative cooperation group, it should be about 80-20 committed complementarians who support the Mike Law Amendment. But if you look at the names who are on the cooperation group and they're listed, it's public. You look at their teachings, you look at their churches, you can see that that's just not the case. I know this for a fact, John, I would bet my life savings on it. If you put the Mike Law Amendment before the cooperation group as a motion to vote on, it would never pass with that current you know, constituency that's there. The Sentinel, the Republic Sentinel just released a report today saying that I think it's five of the churches who have representatives on the cooperation group have female pastors. And Jason Paredes himself has them and is out and proud about it. And so it, it's really confusing, I think, for many Southern Baptists to see us disfellowship Saddleback and then be told that that means the system is working and then to turn around and appoint somebody who operates just like Saddleback to a critical group that's going to study the boundaries of our cooperation and then make recommendations to the whole body. It just yeah. doesn't add up. Especially when you look at what they're doing on abuse reform and he's all open to any idea that would uh, help, I guess, extinguish that uh, in the convention, even on the local church level. And, but then when it comes to this, it's like, well, we have the documents, it's they're sufficient and um, certainly a huge disconnect between issues that uh, leftists also care about or solely care about in some cases, and then issues that conservatives care about. Um, I, well, I'll give you the last word here. Uh, I don't know if, what, if anything, you, you wanna say to potential Southern Baptists that they could uh, apply from hearing what we just heard Bart Barber say, um, but I know you also have an announcement, so um, take it away. 
Yeah, so I'd say the the main takeaway for Southern Baptist is you have to come to Indianapolis in June. We will be meeting for our annual convention gathering, and we are going to be voting to ratify the law amendment. It needs to pass twice. Uh, it's a constitutional amendment. It has to pass by two-thirds majority. I think, frankly, we surprised the platform and the committed cabal who's opposed to this with the vote that we won in New Orleans but they are not going to be surprised twice. So if you're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, here are your marching orders. You need to go talk to your pastor if you're a lay member and make sure that he is going to come to the Southern Baptist Convention. If you're a pastor, you need to make sure you're bringing your church there. You need to, one, know how many messengers your church gets. You can figure this out very easily um, on the Southern Baptist website. There's a quick calculation that tells you your max number of messengers. You get a minimum of two. You probably get more than that. Know your max, bring your max, and then tell all your friends. You need to tell your fellow pastors in your local area. You need to be talking to other lay members at Baptist churches and making sure that they're coming to vote for the ratification of the Mike Law Amendment, which is going to happen in a little over four months from now. That's the only way we fix this. If, if we're going to defer to the messengers, the messengers need to show up and restate our defense of God's word on this issue. This isn't a man-made idea. This comes clearly from scripture, and that's what Baptists believe in. We believe in the Bible. And so that, that's what I want to say to Southern Baptists. Be there. Don't buy into this narrative that this is just about children's ministry pastors. And John, I've been wanting to say this too. I think better of our Baptist brethren than it seems like Bart Barber does. I think that any church out there who has a title that is out of step with our confession and God's word would be happy and willing to submit to correction and retitle that position. You know, I think that they can do that. I'm not proposing we kick them out, but I'm not saying that they're so stubborn that they could never consider changing that. Of course they could. And so I'd like to give them the chance to do that. And then for in terms of announcement, you talked it up, but this just a, it's going to be a little bit of a teaser here. I just want people to know that myself and many other committed brothers in the Southern Baptist Convention who want to see it reinvigorated and renewed to serve as a beacon for gospel evangelism and missions and pastoral training and seminary education in the 21st century have been working together on a project that we're going to more formally announce here in the next couple of weeks. I've been traveling all over the country, rallying people for Indianapolis, and I think you're going to be very pleased with a formal announcement when it comes out. And we hope that this new, this new organization that we're going to be launching will serve as a change agent, particularly focused on raising up unapologetic and bold Baptist leaders to bring us back to essentially to our, our rightful place. And I, I use that loosely as leaders of American evangelicalism. You might not like it, but what happens in the Southern Baptist Convention impacts all of American evangelicalism. Other denominations are looking to us as they have these own fights, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, etc. Helen Andrews, who herself is Eastern Orthodox, uh, you know, commissioned me to write a piece at the American Conservative on this, and she gets it. She says that women pastors is the first defense to fall when a denomination is going to slip into liberalism. That's the story of the mainline denominations in America. And we don't want to see that happen because we view the Southern Baptist Convention as an institutional stewardship that God has given us here in America and over the last many hundreds of years. We view this as an effort to honor our fathers and mothers in the faith and stand strong. So stay tuned, more to come. And it's going to be focused on helping rally folks for Indy and leading the Southern Baptist Convention back to bold, conservative, biblical convictions and leadership. That's excellent. Uh, three questions for you, William, in closing here. Elijah Thompson asks, I'm an ambitious young man in the SBC, but not looking to be a pastor. Is the best way for me to get involved by being a messenger or question mark? Yeah, that's exactly right, Elijah. I would I would uh, read up on these issues. Mike Law has a, an, an amendment website, the sbcamendment.org, I believe it's called. 
educate yourself, but primarily this is the, the, the first issue. And then go talk, ask for a meeting with your pastor and ask him, hey, brother, are you tracking these issues? Are you planning on sending people to Indianapolis? I would love to be a part of it if I can. A lot of pastors are very busy. If he says, oh, you know, look, I'm just swamped. I'm not even focusing on it. Put your hand up and say, hey, look, I'll let me work with the, you know, the, the church accountant and see how many messengers we get. Let me put together a packet, talk to our church, and let's fill out our complement. I'll do logistics, travel, lodging, and bring people there. That's the best way that you can be involved right now as a committed active lay member. Uh his servant s asks so there are women teaching at sbc seminaries is that true or false william oh yeah that's absolutely true that there are women teaching yeah yeah uh i and i know that southeastern there were but i don't think they were they weren't teaching like uh uh you know homiletics or you know things related to that it was more like at least in my recollection it, it was like uh, undergrad stuff yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I think at, at our Baptist colleges, there are certainly female professors, you know, teaching all kinds of things. Karen Swallow Pryor it was somebody who came and taught at Southeastern, you know, English literature. Um, and so you're, I don't think that there are female professors teaching, again, homiletics or theology, but that just on such a general question, the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I would add to that, too, though. Uh, they may not be teachers, but there are women serving as the chairs of boards and trustees <laughs> at these institutions, which I always thought was interesting because like, well, they can't be pastors, but boy, do they know what makes a good pastor. And You they... know what, the, John, that's very interesting. So in the PCA, uh, the Presbyterian Church in America, the conservative Presbyterian denomination, they have a college, Covenant College. I'm a graduate of it. And they only let... Um, or ordained uh, ministers who can only be men serve on the board there. And, and, and as an alum, I'm privy to the conversations that are happening for years there with this push for essentially like feministic inclusion. They really want women on the board of trustees at Covenant College. So they're actually to the right of us on that issue. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, we've been going almost an hour now. And uh, so if anyone wants to check out more of William Wolf and what he has to say, they can uh, go to Twitter it's pretty easy to find William Wolf. Um, and where else? I don't know. You don't have a website or anything, do you? Not yet. Not yet. All right. Coming soon. <laughs> stay, stu stay tuned for the announcement uh, that William is going to make. And I appreciate it, William. Thank you. Thanks, John. God bless.